This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you again. We're back here. We're all here, Lord. We're checking in with you again because we love to be in your presence and it's been hard for us to be away, but thank you that we're back again. And Lord, as we do open up now your Bible, we pray that your spirit would teach us and help us this morning in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, if you open your Bible to Matthew chapter eight, verse one, Matthew eight, verse one, you remember how we were in this passage Last time here, we've come off the Sermon on the Mount. We've come off the Sermon on the Mount now, and we're right with them in Matthew chapter 8, verse 1. We're coming down from the mountain. That's how it starts. When he was come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. And behold, there came a leper and worshiped him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. Jesus put forth his hand and touched him, saying, I will be thou clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus saith unto him, See thou tell no man, but go thy way. Show thyself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. And when Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion beseeching him and saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And Jesus saith unto him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that thou shouldst come under my roof, but speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. For I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this man, go, and he goeth. And another, come, and he cometh. And to my servant, do this, and he doeth it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said unto them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith. No, not in Israel. And I say unto you that many shall come from the east and west and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the children of the kingdom shall be cast out into outer darkness. 
there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said unto the centurion, go thy way. And as thou hast believed, so be it done unto thee. And his servant was healed in the selfsame hour. Okay, now, we've seen in this part where we're in right now, the book of Matthew, how the Lord has finished his great sermon, the sermon that's called the Sermon on the Mount. He comes down from the mountain, and you might say that, okay, the people, they, they would naturally just disperse. They'd go home, they'd, go, they'd leave. They heard the great messages, the great message that he gave, and, and now it's like, now let's leave, let's go, let's go. It's time to go away. Think about this. But that's not what the record says. Here in verse one, it says, when he was come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. They didn't leave. I mean, and what this really shows is that what he was teaching them, they couldn't get enough of. If you wanted to say to them, stay all night, they'd say, good, stay all night. Stay the day, stay the next day. Yes, yes, because this is a scene just like it's described in Revelation 14.4, right? Revelation 14.4, where it says, these are they that were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are they which follow the lamb whithersoever he goeth. That's what they're doing. They're following the lamb wherever he's going. This is like a scene, like a prophecy for the nation of Israel that Jacob gave on his deathbed when he was dying. And one of the last things he said when he he came to bless his sons, he was blessing them one by one, all 12 of them, And he came to Judah, and he said about Judah in Genesis 49.10, Genesis 49.10, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh come. And then he said, unto him shall be the gathering of the people. Unto him shall the gathering of the people be. So what this means is that here they are. Here's the people on the Sermon on the Mount, And they just in fulfillment, here he is, the scepter, here he is, the lawgiver, here he is, Shiloh, he's teaching, he's giving the Sermon on the Mount, and what's said here is that unto him shall the gathering of the people be. They've gathered together, and they don't want to just leave. And it's not just a few that followed him off the mount, but great multitudes. Now, you read this, and you ask yourself the question, why? Why were they following him? Why were these multitudes so attracted to him? You could say, why did all these people keep following him when he finished his teaching? Was it because they followed him because they saw great miracles that he did on the Mount of the Sermon? Was that it? And you have to say, no, it wasn't the reason. Why? Because he didn't do any miracles when he gave the Sermon on the Mountain. There was no bread that was miraculously multiplied. There was no fish that was miraculously multiplied there on the Mount of the Sermon. It didn't happen then. It happened another time, but not then. So you could say, okay, well, they followed him because they heard a great voice from heaven. They heard a voice from heaven that said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Is that it? No, that didn't happen. That didn't happen either. You could say, well, What the people really wanted was to have a conquering king, a king who's going to finally relieve them of the Romans. They wanted a a resurgence of Judas Maccabee, who overthrew the Greeks at that time. But they said, okay, is this why they followed him? Because he's a king, he's conquered the Romans? No, 
He wasn't standing there as a king delivering them from the Romans. He wasn't a Moses who delivered them from Egypt. So were the people then following him as he came off that mountain because they saw that at last, here's a person who has fulfilled all the Messianic prophecies, fulfilled the Messianic prophecies. He must be the Messiah. You know, after all, the first prophecy that we see about the Messiah is that he wears the place of his birth. His place of his birth is going to be in Bethlehem. So surely he must be the Messiah because he was born in Bethlehem. Is that what they saw? No. The people didn't even know that he was born in Bethlehem. They didn't know that. They didn't know that at all. The common knowledge was that he couldn't be the Messiah because they thought he came from Galilee. That's seen in John 7:41, John 7:41, where it says, others said, this is the Christ, but some said, shall Christ come out of Galilee? So they weren't following him because they thought he was the Messiah, because the Messiah had to be born in Bethlehem. Well, they follow him because he was so impressive, you know, like Saul was head and shoulders above everybody else. He was a tall, statured man, very imposing physical presence there. Is that why they were following him because of his looks and they were drawn to him? They say, no, just the opposite. He was not impressive to look at. He's described in Isaiah 53 too, Isaiah 53 too, as he hath no form, no comeliness, and when we should see him, there's no beauty in him that we should desire him. There's no beauty that we should desire him. So his physical appearance was described as no beauty, no beauty. Okay, well then what was it? What was it? What was it about him that caused the multitudes to not want to leave? That caused him, uh, when he was finished speaking, why did the multitudes follow him? There's only one reason. There's only one reason, and that reason is given to us in the verse before verse 1, which is the end of chapter 7, in verse 29, uh, 729, Matthew 729. He taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. So why? It was because of his word. It was the content of what he said. The people were drawn to him because they said, we never heard anything like that before. We never heard anything like that. Just like David was drawn to the same Jehovah, Jesus, when he said, in fact, if you would say to David, why do you love, why do you love Jehovah so much? Why do you love Jehovah, who we know as Jehovah Jesus? Why do you love him so much? And he would say, well, I love him so much, I gave you the answer in the longest psalm I wrote, which is Psalm 119, and he would just take a verse out of Psalm 119, verse 97, Psalm 119, 97, he would say, oh, how love I thy law. It is my meditation all the day. That was the, that was the point of why the people followed him. It was his word. It was the word of God that was coming out of him. It was God's word. And as they listened to it, they not only said, I've never heard anything like this before. He's speaking with authority, not as the scribes. But they could say what David said in Psalm 45 too. Psalm 45 too. They could say about the Lord Jesus as he was teaching in Psalm 45 too. They could say, thou art fairer than the children of men. Grace is poured into thy lips. Grace is poured into thy lips. From the lips of the Lord Jesus came grace. They heard grace, like grace was poured into his lips. Grace, 
It's like a song says, grace that is greater than all our sin. So grace that forgives sin. They, could, they heard from his lips, grace that cleanses. They had sin. These are the people who also were flocking to John the Baptist to be baptized in the River Jordan, confessing their sin. And from him, they heard grace that forgives sin, grace that cleanses sin, he was speaking about grace that opens heaven's door to the sinner. He was speaking about a grace that can make a sinner a child of God. All those blessed are the, was talking about a sinner becoming a child of God. They were talking about grace that saves a sinner. They were talking about grace that loves the sinner, grace that teaches the sinner, corrects the sinner. And when they heard the Lord Jesus, they knew they were hearing the grace of God. And this is the point where our lives were what draws us to the Lord Jesus intersects with these people. This is where we, we also come and intersect with them, intersect with David. As a matter of fact, of all the words, of all the names, I should say, all the names that the, that the Apostle John could have chosen for introducing the Lord Jesus to his readers in the Gospel of John, John shows one particular name, and that's the name that is the reason why all these multitudes followed the Lord, didn't want to leave him. It's the reason why we are drawn to the Lord, and it is the name, John 1.1, John 1.1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's why it's so important in our lives to be immersed in the Word of God. And there are times, there are times, me, you, us, when we just don't love the Word of God. We don't. And we just say, I don't feel like reading the Word of God. I don't want to immerse myself in the Word of God. So what do you do then? What do you do then? Well, first, you have to recognize, we recognize that that is an expression of our weakness. It's our weakness when we don't love God's word. And second, we have to recognize God understands our weakness. And he doesn't just say, well, he's weak, what can you expect? Okay, go on that way. No, he has a remedy for that. Just like he would say, oh, he has cancer, so what? Go let him go and die. No, he has a remedy for our weakness. And that remedy can seen in what God has said to the person who is not at peace with him. And God wants that person to be at peace with him, but he's weak. He's too weak to make peace with God. And so what's the remedy? Well, God gives the remedy in Isaiah 27.5. Isaiah 27.5, God says, let him take hold of my strength that he may make peace with me and he shall make peace with me. So this is a picture here. This verse is illustrated in the life of the father with the sick child, the sick boy, and the father knew he was just too weak to believe in the Lord. And so the father says to the Lord in Mark 9.23, Mark 9.23, Jesus said unto him, if thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. And straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. That's exactly what the Lord does. He says, take hold of my strength, and I'll help your unbelief. Take hold of my strength, 
I'll help your cold heart of love to me. Take hold of my strength. I'll help your lack of interest in the Bible. I'll help your prayerlessness. That's what he means. And it was not just this father who realized he needed to believe more. It was also the apostles who realized that they also needed to believe more. And they came to him in Luke 17, 5. In Luke 17, 5, and it says, And the apostles said unto him, Lord, increase our faith. Increase our faith. Now, that's some request. Increase our faith. I mean, isn't faith something that comes from within a person? Can the Lord increase faith in a weak person? Yes. When that person turns to the Lord and takes hold on the strength of the Lord to increase his faith. But it's, it's not automatic. It just doesn't happen. It comes down to, to, to the coming of the Father, casting himself in his weakness on the Lord to help his unbelief, to help his faithlessness. So how does God do that? How does God help unbelief? How does God how does God remedy cold-heartedness, no interest in the Bible, no desire to pray? How does he do that? Well, by one, strengthening that person. As we said, let him take hold of my strength. As it says, 2 Corinthians 12, 9. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 said, he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee. My strength is made perfect in weakness. That's a strange thing. My strength is made perfect in weakness. How's that possible? And then he goes on, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So it's the power of Christ. It's the strength. And it's made perfect in our weakness because we don't get in the way. When a person comes to God in weakness, God says, perfect. Now my strength can be made perfect in his weakness. And instead of saying, I can't believe, I can't love the Bible, I can't pray, the person who is strengthened says Philippians 4.13, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengtheneth me. I can believe through Christ who strengthened me. I can love the Lord and his Bible through Christ who strengthens me. I can pray through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And when God strengthens a person to believe, to love, to do the things that please God, then it's what is described in Philippians 2.13, Philippians 2.13. It's God which works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. God works inside us to change our will, to change what motivates us to do so that we do what pleases him. He works inside. That's why a person can emerge from that experience and say, wow, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, Philippians 4.13. So here are the multitudes. They're following the Lord, and there is such a spirit of happiness. We can feel it. We can really sense it. It's just like, oh, this is great. There's such a feeling of, what's he going to say next? There's expectation. There's anticipation. Wonderful instruction that they've heard, like they've never heard from any of their teachers before. It's so great. When all of a sudden, in verse 2, behold, there came a leper, a leper. Now, this wasn't just any ordinary leper. More fully described in Mark 140, Mark 140, where it says, and there came a leper to him, beseeching him and kneeling down to him and saying, if thou wilt, thou can make me clean. 
And Jesus, moved with compassion, put forth his hand and touched him and saith unto him, I will be thou clean. You can just imagine how the people, when they saw this leper, you talk about social distancing. <laughs> they engaged in some serious social distancing when this leper came along. And we can imagine the people, when they saw the leper, saying, oh, no, what is he doing here? And that's why this part is introduced with the word behold. Don't you just love it when the Bible uses the word behold? It's like behold. It expresses such a thrill and excitement. You know, behold, when you see the word behold in the Bible, you can plug in the word surprise, surprise, because every time we see the word behold, that's what it means, surprise. And surprise, there came a leper. It reminds me of a joke. Maybe you've heard this. So when the U.S. is building the railroad across the country, they said, okay, we want a perfect railroad. So we have three departments here. And we're going to take the perfect nationality for each one of the departments. Okay, so planning Planning, oh, British, we need a British person. He's going to be the planning person. Okay, and then get the job done. Operations, a German. We got a German to do this. And then they said, supplies, we need a Chinese, Chinaman, a Chinese man. So they start out and they have this British man with an office and he's going to do the planning. And then they got a German man with a work crew and he's going to do the operations. And they got a Chinese man with a warehouse and they tell him, you are in charge of supplies. Well, they start building the railroad, and all of a sudden they run out of supplies. And they wonder, where's that Chinese man? And they called for him, and they yelled, and he comes running out of the warehouse, and he's like, surprise, surprise, surprise. <laughs> okay, you don't get it. <laughs> Do you get it? Yeah, supplies. Surprise. Yeah, right, because, you know, the R and the L. Yeah, got it. Okay, I thought it was a lot funnier than that. Okay, what can I say? <laughs> So when this uh, leper appears, it was such a surprise. <laughs> but seriously, okay, so in verse 2, it says here, uh, there came a leper. Now, it's a picture of what happens in our lives. I mean, everything seems to be going well for us. You know, health is, uh, is adequate. Finances are adequate, sometimes good. And work is uh, stable and family is, uh, is, is riding along smoothly. And all of a sudden, verse 2, surprise comes to us. Behold, there came a cancer. Or there came a heart attack. There came some disease. Behold, there came a coronavirus. Behold, there came a divorce. Behold, there came a death. Behold, there came a I'm out of work. Behold, there came I don't have any money. Behold, there came an accident. And with each one of those, behold, there came, there's a cry of, oh, no, oh, no. And that's what verse 2 is. It's the, oh, no, oh, no, behold, there came a leper. And what do we do in life? What do we do in life when with these, oh, no, there came, comes into our lives? Well, we're to do what is so hard for us to do in life. And it's described in Isaiah 30, verse 7. Isaiah 30, verse 7, which says, their strength is to sit still. It says that. Isaiah 30, verse 7. Their strength is to sit still. And when the behold, there came a problem comes into our lives, the hardest thing for us to do is just, the hardest thing for me, I don't know about you, but me, is to sit still and wait. But God says in Isaiah chapter 30, verse 7, that's the strength. That's where the strength is. 
the strength comes from sitting still. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. That's P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. That's tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. For more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.